Welcome to the Tech Maestro Podcast. Come with me as I discuss my journey in music education and educational technology. Welcome everyone. My name is Ryan Gutch and I am the Tech Maestro. In today's episode of the Tech Maestro, we are going to continue the discussion about my grading system and some of the interesting quirks I've encountered. We'll give you a little insight into some behind-the-scenes IT world at school. And I'll leave you with the Maestro Minute, a quick tip today that you can do to make your workflow more efficient. So let's jump right in. Last episode, I talked about the basics of the grade list system that I use. It's very feedback-driven, based on a large rubric asking students to accomplish a set of skills. I hinted that I still had to somehow convert this to letter grades, so let's discuss that. School districts, for the most part, still rely on letter grades to determine GPA and give a rank to the students to help determine valedictorian and such. With that in mind, I can't just leave a blank grade and say, hey, you passed at a proficient level. That doesn't translate into GPA. So this was a stumbling block as I continued to go through the year. I started out making each progress term, progress report one, quarter one, progress report two, semester one, etc., into a standard that you had to have so many skills at certain levels. Along with that, they had to have attended at least one lesson to be passing. Uh, None of this I thought was too rigorous for the first four weeks or so, and I was right. I set standards to reach D, C, B, and A. I was able to categorize each student well for each of the skills I had set up. Everything was going smoothly. The annoying part was that it took a lot of time for each student. I manually counted how many skills were at each level. Why did I do that? Well, Google Sheets doesn't count how many cells in a column are colored. At least I didn't think so at the time. If someone was on the fringe of a new letter, I'd recount to make ultra sure that I had it right. Well, progress report was ready to put in the gradebook. Perfect. It's done. New quirk. My office secretary calls me up and asks me if I have my grades done yet. I said, well, yeah, I put them in the day before they were due. She says, weird, I don't see anything on my end. What I had done is set up a standards gradebook in our student management system and put in all the rubric pieces and manually put in the letter grade. While the office couldn't see what I was putting in for a letter grade. They saw the rubric fine, but not the letter grade I put in the progress report. (sighs) Well, thank goodness I have some admin privileges on our SMS. I manually did some things there, and now the office can see them. Okay, hopefully this is just an annoyance for progress reports, since the progress report term wasn't actually in the standards gradebook at first. So fast forward to the end of quarter one. Office secretary calls me again and says she can't see my grades for quarter one. Are you kidding me? So again, I go through the process of manually entering grades, having to figure it out again because I hadn't done anything like that in a month. This time, I write down the process just in case. I also take the time to call up our SMS and suggest the option to put in a grade for progress report time in a future update. 
So who knows what will happen with that. Fast forward again to second progress report. I suddenly realized that my standards for getting the certain letters is not right. I have kids which are doing a fabulous job to this point that are not getting the letter grade I feel is appropriate. I reflect a bunch on what I've been teaching as I look at my rubric and I see that there are things that I figured I would teach in lessons and in class that I just haven't gotten to. Part of it is some of those skills should be taught in a lesson situation and not a full ensemble situation. Part of that is my rubrics were too overgeneralized that I could, I, I would not get to those things since I have some very young players in my high school band. Part of it was I realized skills I was teaching were missing from my rubric. And a final part was as I was heading into semester finals, the material I test on my semester exams wasn't in my rubric at all. I knew I needed to revamp the rubric for second semester. So semester ends and now I've had four grading periods where I have counted up these marks manually and I'm getting kind of sick of it. I start looking for a way for a Google sheet to count how many cells are colored in a range. Well, another grading period goes by until I finally found something that works. Enter the sheets extension called custom count and sum. This, this extension creates new custom formulas, one of which is count background color. I am suddenly much happier that it will do the math for me. Remember this now. It uses a text string to make the formula work. All right. So I apply the formula to my individual rubrics for my students. I get to the end of the quarter, make some final changes before I put in grades. Oh, what? Huh? What? What's going on? The numbers didn't change when I changed the rubric. Eventually it clicks. The formula uses a text string, so it won't update unless I change the string. Well, now I go and change every formula for every student so it recalculates in a different color before I switch it back to the yellow that I was using. And yes, it took me a whole new grading period to realize that I can just have two yellow cells to reference the color to count, making it half the work. So don't judge me. Also through this second semester, I did some reflection on first semester and looked at how relating the rubric to points would make the letter grades work. I only considered this based on my history of rock and roll course I teach. And we'll talk about that class later on in the season here. I decided to use it with some caveats. The students still had to meet certain requirements to receive the letter grade that those points would be worth. For instance, one requirement was to get the A at the end of the semester, they had to have attended at least five lessons, or they could attend fewer. That would be okay if they finished their lesson material. So after considering all that and excluding any material that I didn't get to because there were some students that changed 
lesson material right in the middle of the semester, I was finally able to decide on a letter grade. So overall, in comparing this to the point grading system that I used to have, I'm absolutely loving this. Currently, it still may be a little bit about points in the way of terms of actually getting a letter grade. But I've realized that in order to get those quote-unquote points, they are still working on skills and proving they can accomplish these certain things I'm asking them to do. So we're going to continue using this in the next year and two and hopefully more, continue to make some tweaks to it. And hopefully this will even lead a change in the rest of the school. We've had some talks about going to a more standards-based system. Maybe this will catch on. Now for some techie things. We are working on updating some of our infrastructure at school this summer. We still have several 10100 switches helping run our network. This, like I mentioned in the last episode, is a bit out of date. There are home internet speeds which are faster than those switches we have, to give you a little bit of comparison. We are going to be putting in some gigabit switches this summer, which will be quite the undertaking. There's a lot of wire that's going to be moved around. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with wiring closets, you often find switches and patch panels and all the wiring surrounding it to resemble spaghetti. It's just a mess of cords and it would take a long time if you wanted to follow one cable from one end to the other. I also don't believe we have much documentation about which patch panel belongs to which broom. The jacks are labeled and the cables are labeled, but I don't necessarily know what room that jack is in. So that's kind of the missing piece of my puzzle right now. So I'm hoping that when we do the switch project, we can document that even further. I hope to say, well, the computer in this room is connected to this port in the switch with just a single look of a spreadsheet. And just for fun, if you get a chance, do an internet search for perfect wiring closet. And you will see some of the dream pictures that I have in my head. Wiring can be so simple and look nice instead of the spaghetti that many of them become. I realize that's kind of geek, but it's what I do, all right? We are getting close to that time when we also do updates to our student computers. We had some interesting issues this past year. Um, we thought we had a policy in place, for instance, to prevent kids from accessing certain areas of Windows. And we did. However, we believe that we have several old policies in place that were maybe conflicting with what we already had. So another summer project is to start over fresh with our group policy writing and put in place exactly what we need and nothing extra. I am lucky that my Ubertex are taking care of much of that too. 
it's another one of those things that I, I need to learn more about as we go. The final techie thing I want to mention today is more directed at kids, really, but teachers and IT people, I'm sure, will appreciate what I'm saying. Can you all please figure out how to take care of your computers better? There is no reason the back hinge of your computer is missing. There is no reason to store your mouse in the same area as your computer by your screen and then drop it on the ground or something so your mouse shatters your screen. Your computer bags are not something you play shuffleboard with. I mean, have some common sense. Our one-to-one -one contract spells out the fees you pay if you damage your computers. I would think you don't want to replace it and pay the hundreds of dollars to do so. I say this all because as I got to the end of the year, we get the computers back, and after one year of use, I have a stack of at least a dozen that have to be sent in to be fixed. So, yes, kids, it's a bad idea to snowboard with your computer bag. And yes, I got that story this year. Finally, here's my maestro minute. Today, keyboard shortcuts are your friend. I've had teachers watch what I do, but they can't seem to follow along sometimes because of all the keyboard shortcuts I use. Here are some simple ones that I use often that make people say, Wow, you did that so fast. And by the way, I'm a Windows user here. So these are geared toward Windows, but I'm sure Macs have similar ones you can use. The first one, switch from the window or app you're currently using and switch to other ones you're using in the background with Alt plus Tab. If you hold the Alt key down and press the Tab key, a graphical list of windows you have active are shown. When you hit that tab the first time, it will highlight the previous window you actively used. You could press tab again to go to the next previously used window. I do this all the time to switch what I'm doing. When you find the window you want, release Alt and it will open it for you. It's wonderful, so efficient to move windows versus grabbing your mouse and moving up and trying to find the exact one you want and clicking. It's so quick. Next thing, consider using tab and enter keys for moving around your workstation. I think the one that frustrates me most watching other people is when they log into their computer. There are some that will click in the username box, type their username, grab their mouse, move in a big circle to find where their cursor is again, before going to point it in the password box, then click there, they type their password, again go to grab their mouse, make a big circle to find where their cursor is again, before going to point on the arrow button and finally clicking on the arrow button. No offense to you all, but that is so inefficient. Usually the login screen defaults to the username first. So you can just type your username, then hit tab it will move you to the password box. Then type your password, then hit enter. It's so much quicker. 
Tab key can also be useful when filling out forms online. It will move to the next field to fill out. And programmers make it this way. I remember being in school, we had to concern ourselves with the tab index when we were coding things. Tab is a powerful key, and I think so many people underutilize it. So try and make it a part of your daily computer time, and just watch and see how much more efficient you are. Thank you for listening in today. I hope you got something out of the podcast. If you have any thoughts, questions, or feedback for me, you can reach me on Twitter at BBTTrivia. Stay tuned for the next episode where we will dig into my lesson program a bit and get a glimpse again behind the scenes in the IT department. God bless y'all.